Hello, and welcome to Ask Dr. Dawn. The opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers. And this is a program intended for education and entertainment. It should not be construed as a substitute for a medical consultation. We're going to be discussing some really interesting data today on aging, uh, cold versus uh, cold temperatures in anti-aging versus warm climate, and some interesting DNA news uh, related to global warming, and breaking news on rheumatoid arthritis. Let's go with our first email, uh, and this from John in, oh, John doesn't tell me where he's from. So John from somewhere. That's pretty anonymous. Uh, Dear Dr. Non, I am a fit and active 71-year-old male. Uh, A year ago, calcium screening resulted in this unpleasant surprise. Total score, 1287. Uh, Left circumflex, 361. Right right, uh, circumflex artery, sorry. Uh, Yeah, RCA. 349, uh, the left anterior descending, which was the uh, which is the big business end part of the blood vessels in the heart that goes to your left ventricle. That's the one that pumps the blood through through your body and to your brain. Uh, that one showed 50% stenosis without focal plaque, stenosis, irregularity, aneurysm, or dissection. He also had calcified cla- a plaque in his uh, left. Sir, uh, left uh, circumflex, and that showed 50% stenosis, focused, focal ectasia of the dis- artery distal to the stenosis. I'll explain what uh, that is in just a moment. Uh, he also had some in- occlusion, and they weren't able to see, but they said greater than 70% uh, stenosis. That's bad. Uh, the right uh, circumferential was uh, plaque less than 20% stenosis. So basically, he's got an area of his heart that is blocked enough, and the blood vessels, when you have a blockage, think about hydraulics there for a minute. You're trying to move blood through an area. The area is narrowed. The, The blood sort of, well, basically squirts through the stenotic area, the tight area, and it comes out with a higher velocity. So it bangs against the walls of the artery. Now, this is not great because a blood banging against the walls of an artery tends to deposit more plaque. So it starts to be a, uh, you know, if you want to call it a sort of self-perpetuating cycle, you would not be wrong. So that focal ectasia and, of course, a 70% uh, stenosis in that area is not good news, uh, but it's uh, debatable whether going in there and stenting it at this time without him being symptomatic and with him being very active would make sense. So John continues, now a patient at Stanford, doc put me on 20 milligrams of Crestor, cholesterol was uh, Total 220, HDL 83, LDC 122, and this was based on large doses of red yeast rice starting when cholesterol was 250. He doesn't, so 20 years of that, he's 71, so at around the age of 51, back when in the mid-20th century, men like John would probably have their first heart attack, uh, he started on that red yeast rice. It did him some good. He's been on the Crestor. Crestor is like a very, very strong statin. 
And now his total cholesterol is 139. His HDL is still 83. His LDL is 43. And cardiologist says LDL to stay below 70. Uh, so takeaways from him are don't gain weight, exercise regularly, maintain the LDL below 70. He says, I'm not in danger of sudden death. Most likely outcome is chest tightness and shortness of breath after exercise that results in stents. So yes, I would agree with the doctor's assessment, but I could also agree with John that he's not feeling reassured by that information. John continues, my goals are function at peak level as long as possible. I'm currently on a Mediterranean diet, exercise six days a week. Uh, Goal number two, don't want to die of sudden death from coronary artery disease. Uh, Questions for you. What else can I do to heal? Have seen some studies regarding the use of pycnogenol and centella asiatica, which may promote epithelial growth in arteries, so taking these daily. How can I monitor, prove effectiveness of same? Uh, Doc says no way to monitor, i.e. a scan would result in imperfect cross-section, which would negate the findings. How about an annual ultrasound? Oh, I forgot to say, he also had a, uh, he had a, Uh, enlarged aorta. Here it is, dilated ascending aorta 4.2 centimeters. So that's when he's talking about annual ultrasound. That's what we're talking about. That that, Would that be recommended? And after I push stocked, I'm scheduled for a thoracic echo Doppler to see what it shows. I think that's a good idea. Um, We'll come back to the question about the pycnogenol and the centella asiatica in a moment. Question number two is, much of a con- of a concern for the dilated ascending aorta. Uh, aorta. Uh, Doc says not concerned with low 5.2 centimeters. And indeed, there is a way to monitor it, and that's to get a annual, uh, an, an annual at transthoracic ultrasound, and they can get a diameter of the aorta. And if it's enlarging, then it starts to be a concern. The problem is when you go in and mess with the aorta, you have a pretty high risk of causing strokes. And so you don't do that lightly. It's not even with the newest, quote unquote, low invasive technologies, they are definitely still not as good as what you have right now. So intervention would not be an option. Uh, I am wondering about your blood pressure, your family history, and also your smoking history, uh, John, which you didn't give me. But uh, smoking, even if it was 20 or 30 years ago, maybe only for a decade, is a risk factor for this kind of aortic disease, also abdominal aortic disease. Uh, Actually, probably the abdominal is even more common than the thoracic. When I see an enlarged thoracic uh, aorta, I usually want people to get checked for various collagen vascular disease, maybe uh, think about Marfan's syndrome, which is a, a, a congenital uh, collagen variation that leads to stretchier tissues and therefore a stretchier aorta. You might be a, a heterozygote, that is to say a half-breed for that, and that could be a piece of what's going on. Uh I'm taking vitamin D3 and K3 daily, given some evidence that this may direct calcium from arteries in the, into bones. Is this likely? And I will comment on that one now before we get to the uh, question about the other supplements. So uh, it's the vitamin K that tends to uh, help redirect calcium out of the arteries. 
and it does in fact do that. Most I don't recommend taking vitamin D3 anymore without also taking some K3, and uh, that's just across the board. I'm trying to get all of my D3 people onto vitamin K as well. I really want that calcium to go where I want it to, which is to say into the bones. Uh, you probably in you probably are fine taking a highish dose of uh, vitamin K2, uh, the MK7, MK8, and MK9 forms being the ones that do the best job, not the MK4 form. So you really have to look carefully at that supplement. In terms of dosing, there really is no known maximum toxicity for vitamin K. Uh, what we are saying now is 150 to maybe 200 for prevention. Since you're trying to do something, I'd probably take more. And, that, and that's the MK7 form. So 180 micrograms would be a, a sort of preventative dose. You are past prevention. You're now in to a fairly high calcium score. So your arteries are stiff, which makes them more likely to crack, which makes you more likely to have a heart attack. So uh, that's what we don't want. Um, he's saying, your cardiologist is saying you're like most likely to get angina. These are all probability statements. So you should be doing the antiplatelet agent, and you can either do high-dose fish oil, or you can do a, uh, a baby aspirin a day with food, more higher aspirins for this particular indication are not indicated, but it's fine to take it. You're not going to step on it. Uh, Motrin and Advil, other non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, uh, actually reverse the benefit of the aspirin, and I would encourage you uh, to definitely stay away from Celebrex, which is an, not going to cause ulcers, but may actually make you more likely to have a blood clot should you develop a crack in your plaque. So those are some preventative bits of advice. I think you could take up to, say, two milligrams of the MK7, MK8, MK9 versions of vitamin K2. And I'm thinking that the K3 here was probably a typo in your email. So we've covered the dilated aorta. We've covered the D3 and the K2. Now we're going to go back to that website. And I want to spend a little time on this because... You know, people often ask me to you know, take a look at this, and you sent me several links from a website belonging to a Dr. Dash, D-A-C-H. Jeffrey Dash is a an MD, and he has a, a very fancy website with lots of information on it. I noticed multiple authors. Uh, and I, I thought, well, let's do my usual, like, website credibility score thing. So... Uh, and when I did that, he came across to me as a low-credibility website. Uh, first of all, there was a lot of fair, what I consider to be fairly spurious anti-vaccination rhetoric on there, and a lot of, uh, inclu including a lot of things were written for other people and were being quoted, written by other people, I should say, and being quoted on his site. And there was a lot of this sort of exploitative, what about, what about rhetoric, uh, and that's, you know, that's a rhetorical defense mechanism in a debate class, but it's not science. Uh, and then uh, I thought, well, let's, uh, let's see. He's got a lot of infomercial 
uh, click links. Like there's a, a link about how do you buy this? You know, you can click here to buy this product on Amazon. Click here to buy this product on um, the Life Extension website. And I'm sure he's getting paid for that. So those are, pro- are undoubtedly reimbursed links. And then there were a bunch of references. And... Uh, the links to, there were no links to the references. They were just references. So it looks like a link. It's highlighted, but when you mouse over it, you can't go to the you can't go to the website. So you can't read the articles. And and I went to try and find the articles, and most of them were uh, blocked by a, a paywall. So that's another red flag. Then I thought, well, I'll check out the. It, I noticed something when I was looking at the references, they were all published in the same journal, uh, which is weird, and that claimed to be a peer, you know, so I went to the website for the journal, journal Minerva Cardiologica.it, so it's an Italian journal, and yeah, so some more red flags there. For one thing, this, uh, it's a little worrisome when everything's published in the same journal, and it's by a bunch of different authors. When I looked a little further, I discovered that you that this is one of those basically publication mill journals. So you have to pay a fifteen hundred dollar fee to submit your article. Now, a legitimate journal doesn't do that. You do not pay to get published. And this was listed when I cross-referenced it on the internet. It was listed in a whole bunch of how to improve your career by in, you know websites for scientists. So this is the more you publish, the more grants you get, the the more university appointments you get, the more advancements you get. So you want to publish, publish, publish. And we've talked about that in an earlier show in the last month about how that creates a publication, a pro-publication bias, as well as it's provided uh, a lot of secondary shady journals showing up that it's a pay to play. You pay them, you get published. Uh, One of the other red flags I saw here was that you I went to try to submit something, and you get to choose your own peer reviewer, which is not industry standard. The editor chooses your peer reviewer. I mean, you could choose your you could choose the guy in the next lab and take him out to dinner <laughs> for a good review. That's why we don't allow this. Uh, you know, friends will help friends get published, and this just creates a lot of lack of credibility for me when looking at the research. The research articles themselves were not all that strong. If you read when I did the ones I could read a little abstract on. And pycnogenol is a pine bark extract. It's a uh, a good antioxidant. I'm not sure I want to promote epithelial growth in arteries. Uh, to me, that's it's counterintuitive. What we have in the case of this disease is we have thickening of the arteries and narrowing of the hole inside the arteries. Why would I want to make the arteries grow? Um, I think where this might be beneficial is after you have your heart attack to promote the growth of what's called collateral blood vessels to make a, to go around the areas of narrowing. But I'm not sure that that's going to work here. And I'd like to see better data before. So I don't think I would recommend this. As far as the Crestor is concerned, you need to be on CoQ10, at least 300 milligrams of ubiquinol if you're going to be taking this stuff because it does lower 
CoQ10 or ubiquinol throughout your body, and that makes it toxic to your mitochondria. Your brain needs lots of mitochondria. Your muscles need lots, lots of active mitochondria, and you really don't want. And you're you know 71 years old, so you're a boomer, which means you have lead and mercury in your body. You know, just slam dunk, you've got them. And so your mitochondria have already taken a hit from the heavy metals. What I would recommend here is keeping the LDL below 70 is a good idea. You're probably overtreated. You could probably get by with half as much, and maybe you should, because with a, with a total cholesterol of 139, your testosterone and your other hormones are going to go down. And that may not be beneficial. I think you want to keep it at least age normal levels of testosterone. So if you continue on this dose of Crestor, I would measure uh, total testosterone uh, and free testosterone and sex hormone binding globulin. And the other thing that we don't know here is your inflammatory markers. So your your Stanford, of course, should have checked your inflammatory markers, which are an additional risk factor for heart disease. You need to keep your HSCRP, lowercase h, lowercase h, capital C, capital R, capital P, below one. And that's where even higher doses of fish oil and the use of uh, systemic anti-inflammatories like curcumin, uh, turmeric is basically what has curcumin in it, but curcumin and concentrates are probably the doses you're going to need, 500 to 1,000 milligrams. Uh, you might want to look at uh, other anti-inflammatories. Boswellia, for example, is an excellent anti-inflammatory. Uh, you could also take a look at green tea extract, another great anti-inflammatory agent. And all of these will help get that HSCRP down. I'm hoping you're not pre-diabetic. You definitely want to monitor your insulin levels because insulin is going to be... And while you're on Crestor, by the way, one of the problems with the statins is that they are diabetogenic. And they are most diabetogenic in women but so you you take the woman's cholesterol and you normalize it, quote unquote, but you also give her diabetes, which of course triples her risk of heart disease. So you've you've benefited one risk factor and aggravated the big risk factor. So that doesn't make a lot of sense for a woman who doesn't actually have known cardiovascular disease. It's a different story if you've got a situation like this with a 70% stenosis. You don't have a risk for the disease. You have the disease. And what we worry about with someone like John is that that 70% stenosis is going to crack, that it's going to clot, that it's going to kill some heart, and that in the process, that's going to trigger that lethal arrhythmia that he's so worried about. So... What, what else can you do? Well, I'm not sure I'd stop at the Mediterranean diet. I, I'd put you on the Dean Ornish program, which is pretty much a vegetarian diet. And you can look up the work. Gene Ornish has been working for at least 25, 30 years in this area, and he has data. If you go and look in the scientific literature showing reversal, repeat, reversal of plaque with his program. So, yeah. I think you would want to look at doing all of that and everything else I've said if you're really serious about wanting to do everything to improve, to, well, basically to preserve your function, which is already, which is at the moment quite good. 
So I promised you breaking news on rheumatoid arthritis, and um, I do indeed have that. This is still this is still at the animal testing level. It has it's probably five years from being released for uh, therapeutic testing in humans, but it's a real game changer because of the mechanism of action and how this will. Uh, really set up a one-two punch against rheumatoid arthritis and also because this is one of this is the first agent I'm aware of that actually changes how white blood how cells develop it actually redirects a cell that's developing in one direction and causes it to turn into something else and that is super exciting so this uh, comes out of a group of material scientists, engineers at UC San Diego, and it's based on clinical interest on this compound, all trans retinoic acid, basically a modified form of vitamin A. And this has been shown, and we'll talk a bit about the mechanism in a, uh, a little while, because I'm going to geek out on you on this, but... This form of retinoic acid actually goes after the key operator cell, the fiber, the the fibroblast-like syn, uh, synoviocytes that are in the joint of people with rheumatoid arthritis that cause the swelling, that cause the bone damage, that cause the cartilage destruction, and these cells can actually be redirected using this form of vitamin A to a different phenotype. A phenotype is what you are showing. So let's do let's do werewolves because hey, why not? Uh, so a werewolf, right? It's a man or a woman, and then it turns into a wolf-like creature during the full moon, which we had last night, but I did not see any werewolves. However, the point is, those are the phenotypes, right? Same DNA, same list of basic instructions. And when the moon is full, instead of running the program to be a human, uh, the body runs the program to become a wolf-like, voracious creature. And that's kind of what's going on here, is that you're taking the werewolf cell that is tearing up the joint, and you're turning it into the mild-mannered uh, cell that just would blend in with everybody else, the normal-looking and normal-behaving fibrocyte. So this sounds great, right? This, uh, and we're, they're call, It's called ATRA, which is catchy as hell, all transretinoic acid. But here's the rub. It has to be given by injection into the knee joint, and it only lasts a couple of weeks. So that's a real problem if you're trying to keep those cells from, uh, you know, coming back out at the next full moon, so to speak. And so the reason we've got biological engineers here is because they have come up with a kind of biodegradable polymer system that essentially cre creates local controlled uh, release. So they've encapsulated ATRA into something that can be direct, uh, injected directly into a joint, but it doesn't, uh, and it sits there. And during that time, it transforms, it redirects those nasty, voracious uh, cells 
into kinder, gentler cells. It turns the disease site into a factory that actually produces regulatory T cells. Regulatory, so these these fibroblasts, instead of becoming these uh, syncytioblasts or synovio uh, sites, they turn into regulatory T cells, which are the breaking of the immune system. So when I say breaking, I'm talking about your car's brakes, B-R-A. A-K-E. So they slow down inflammation, they regulate the immune system, and when we do, in fact, regulatory T-cells, when you get immunotherapy for your allergies and you go get your allergy shots, they're, give, they're trying to induce regulatory T-cells, which will then prevent you from making the antibodies that cause allergies. And that's the whole point. Those regulatory T-cells regulate antibody production, as well as other T-cells which have been trained to attack a tissue. So this has really interesting possibilities for autoimmune disease as well. So this came out in Advanced Science, and... Uh, this drug, by the way, the uh, ATRA, is already approved for acute promyelocytic leukemia because guess what? It takes those le- – what's leukemia? Leukemia uh, is white blood cells that did not mature properly, immature white blood cells that are in a case in a state of arrested development. And what ATRA does is it directs maturation. So it's actually committing – these cells to a phenotype, which is their benign mature form. Rather, it's con- it's converting them, if you will, taking them where they should have been in the first place. Uh, after when it's given in high doses to get into the joint, like if you give it intravenously, you get all kinds of unwanted side effects because you're messing with fibroblasts everywhere and T cells and other cells everywhere. And it isn't ugh, most things powerful Uh, things like this are going to have a downside. However, the idea that uh, you can think of, well, I think many, many immune diseases, autoimmune diseases are really cases of mistaken identity. So the cells perceive a danger and target something that's actually a normal, normally functioned cell in the body. So what we're trying to do is get rid of these And we'll talk a little bit about type 1 diabetes in a moment. I'll pick that up. We were just wrapping up on the helper T cells and how this uh, wonderful molecule that's basically vitamin A uh, that's been processed a little bit to make all of the molecules identical. That's what uh, trans, uh, all trans retinoic means. It's retinoic acid, but they're all in the trans shape because that's the one that fits into the receptor and fixes the disease. I wanted to talk about another autoimmune disease where this technology might be useful, and that's type 1 diabetes. I'm not sure that we could ever use this in multiple sclerosis, but in both of these cases, the the antibodies are attacking the pancreas or the neurons. And of course, in rheumatoid arthritis, it's the joint. So what we'd love to do is be able to raise the regulatory T cells locally in the area. In generalized disease, this, the problems I've already mentioned about uh, off-target or off, off-target effects uh, still uh, apply. But another paper 
that I uh, came across basically looked at this uh, same thing. This is probably one of the original papers. It was 2020, so a few years ago. And one of the things they suggested is that combining the disease-modifying uh, agents we currently use, which are pretty much antibodies directed against tumor necrosis alpha, and most people with autoimmune disease that doesn't respond to methotrexate end up on one of these monoclonals. Uh, Remicade, for example, is one of the trade names. There's a, a great many of 